Good morning. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad you're here. I would like to extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us for the first time this morning. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please say with me the words by which we light our chalice? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship this morning is from Daniel Berrigan. When the Spirit struck us free, we could scarcely believe it for very joy. Were we free? Were we wrapped in a dream of freedom? Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with pure joy. The oppressors were awestruck. What marvels the Lord works for them. Like a torrent in flood, our people streamed out. Locks, bars, gulags, ghettos, cages, cuffs, a nightmare scattered. We trod the long furrow slaves, sowing in tears. A lightning bolt loosed us. We tread the long furrow, half drunk with joy, staggering the golden sheaves in our arms. In this congregation, most of us call ourselves Unitarian Universalists, and we also say, I'm a, I am a Unitarian Universalist that is a Zen Presbyterian Buddhist. I am a redneck Hindu atheist. I'm a, but we're all Unitarian Universalists. Many of us are sunk into the Christian tradition and our roots, many of us into other traditions. And so how do we all worship together on a Sunday morning? What holds us together? It's our mission. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Let us continue our time of meditation with the Buddhist loving-kindness meditation. We'll say it three times. The first time we'll say it for ourselves. I'll say a line and you say it after me, should you choose to. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. The second time we say this for someone we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. The third time, as a spiritual stretch, we say this for someone against whom we have a resentment. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. May it be so.
So today, I'm going to be talking about recovery from fundamentalism. Because I have my flame of truth stole on. Uh, there are few places where fundamentalism has more people uh, held prisoner than um, the South, where I just came from, and Texas, where I am now. Even in free-thinking Austin, we have people who have changed the way that they believe, and yet fundamentalism, if you grew up that way, still has its mark on you unless you have done some work to recover. One of the things that Unitarian Universalism is all about is helping people find their freedom. Once you find your freedom, then you can look back at uh, whatever scripture you were raised with, or you can look at whatever scripture anybody puts in front of you with a free mind and look at it through a Unitarian Universalist lens and get the good from it, the poetry, the truth, the challenge, the beauty from it without the destructive, uh, toxic part of uh, what those of us who were raised in that kind of structure experienced. So uh, many people in this room did not have any background in fundamentalism, and that's fine. Some did, whether in the Roman Catholic Church or in the Protestant Church. There are fundamentalists in every faith, the Jewish faith, the uh, Buddhist faith, the Muslim faith for certain. There are fundamentalists everywhere. There are even fundamentalist uh, humanists and fundamentalist atheists and fundamentalist um, recyclers and... (laughs) If you've ever had one of them go through your trash, which I have, (laughs) very instructive. They're like, you could recycle this. I wanted to confess my sins. So first I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Christian fundamentalism that I'm going to talk about today because that's the one we have most of in Texas. So Christian fundamentalism arose in the 1920s and 30s because in Germany, the historical Jesus movement had begun and people were trying to use their scholarship to figure out who actually was this Jesus of Nazareth person historically and what was it that he actually said as opposed to what they said that he said. That work still goes on today and that's another sermon. Also, Um, biblical criticism was reaching its peak. That doesn't mean they sit around and criticize the Bible, but it means that they use uh, their um, critical thinking to look at the vocabulary, at the structure, at the purpose, at the politics of each uh, particular um, book of scripture and try to figure out who wrote it, who was it written for, why was it written, what did it mean at the time? And how does that differ from what we think it might mean now? Because there are words that change their meaning um, over centuries. And what if some of those words uh, changed their meaning in the original Hebrew for the Jewish scriptures and Aramaic and uh, Koine Greek for the Christian scriptures? 
So uh, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And because of this biblical criticism and the historical Jesus movement, modern liberalism sprang up in the Protestant churches. Now, the Unitarians had been liberal for a long time, but the Protestant churches began to be liberal as well. And so in reaction to that arose the fundamentalist movement because people were saying, well, they're, let, they're getting rid of everything that's, that we hold dear. It's like, what do you hold dear? Well, I hold dear these things. Why I hold dear these other things? And so they came up, the fundamentalists came up with the five fundamentals of Christianity. And if you're going to call yourself a Christian, according to them, you had to believe these five fundamentals. And uh, the first one was the inerrancy of scripture. That just means it doesn't have any mistakes. There are no mistakes, no contradictions in any book. Well, in the original, in the originals of the books, which we don't have <laughs> yet. But if we had them, they wouldn't have any mistakes in them. And even the scripture we have now is mistake-free enough so that we can base our whole lives on it and everything that's in it. And this is Protestant fundamentalism right now because Protestant fundamentalism hangs on the word, the Bible, the published word. Catholic fundamentalism hangs on the word of the church. You have the word of the church, you have the word of the Bible. Um, both groups put the authority uh, for what you should do outside of themselves. So... Um, if you believe in the inerrancy of scripture, then you have to be careful about actually using your brain when you're reading. And you have to be careful when you're asking questions like, um, why are the three gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, very similar to one another and have parallel stories, although with some differences, and then the Gospel of John is just like way different. Why are there two creation stories in Genesis? One where God uh, creates human beings from the mud and then breathes into them. And the other where he creates Adam first and then takes a rib out of Adam and makes Eve from the rib. Which, I, it just struck me one day, and this is apropos of nothing. When you look at the chromosome shapes and you look at XX and then you look at XY, it's like there's a rib missing I don't know where to go with that. I'm just wondering. <laughs> they teach that not only does the Bible have no mistakes in it, but you can't, there is nothing to be known that is not in there. And so when you come up with something that is known that's not in there, like the age of the universe, for example, or dinosaurs, um, you have to be very careful with your brain. Because either dinosaurs didn't exist, or their fossils are like a test uh, given to people by God by making fossils and sticking them in the ground just to test your faith, which is what some of those people think. Or they're of the devil. Um, I can't keep track of them in dinosaurs, but they're still working on it. Um, one of my Unitarian Universalist youth got in trouble 
in South Carolina because at the end of the year summer reading test, they were supposed to have read Genesis over the summer, and the test question was, who wrote the book of Genesis? And so my Unitarian youth wrote something scholarly and somewhat sarcastic, unfortunately. And um, we went over to the school, the dad and I, the dad taught biology at the local college, and said, what, just out of curiosity, what answer were you looking for? And they said, Moses or God? Public high school. So, in addition to the inerrancy of scriptures, uh, the other fundamentalists, the other fundamentals are that Jesus was and is God himself, that he was born of a virgin, that uh, his blood is what saves people, that he was resurrected in a body, and so will we be resurrected in a body. And they say if you don't believe those things, that you can't call yourself a Christian. So, but, you know, Unitarian Universalist people who claim Christianity as one of their roots, they will just say, you don't get to say who's Christian and who's not. On one fundamentalist website, after a list of these fundamental doctrines, one man posted this. He said, so, uh, disagreements are perfectly acceptable within the confines of Christianity because our salvation does not hinge upon doctrines other than the above five. And I wanted to write because there was a time in my life when engaging with fundamentalists was a hobby. Um, <laughs> I wanted to write, I thought you believed one of your five fundamentals up here, that salvation was through the blood of Jesus, not through these five doctrines. But I didn't because I was passing out of that phase. But this guy particularly... Uh, articulated the idolatry of fundamentalism. Idolatry is when you put authority in something outside yourself that you should not be putting authority in, or when you worship something or give it control over your life that is not worthy of having control over your life. So to give your salvation to these five doctrines is idolatry, fire of truth, idolatry and um, wicked. So... um, If you grow up around people who seem to worship the Bible more than they worship God or the church more than they worship God, you're looking at idolatry. So in order to uh, see the scriptures without mistakes, you have to, as I said, do kind of some mental gymnastics. And you have to agree not to seem to notice that nobody takes the Bible literally. Nobody. No body. Everybody does what Thomas Jefferson did, and not literally but figuratively cuts out the parts they don't want to deal with and just reads the parts they do. So when you see a fundamentalist eating shellfish, you are looking at someone who is ignoring the book of Leviticus, which says eating shellfish is an abomination. Like it says about homosexuality. Only about shellfish, it says it five times repeating itself. Abomination, abomination, 
abomination for shrimp. And <laughs> abomination only one time for homosexuality. I don't know if that makes it less of an abomination according to Leviticus, but there you go. Another abomination is wearing mixed threads. Cotton poly blend. <laughs> abomination. So when you leave Sunday school and church and you go to Red Lobster and have shrimp or lobster, abomination, in your polycotton suit, you are an abomination several times over. More than if you were gay. Gay, 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 gay. <laughs> Food for thought. <laughs> you are taught in the fundamentalist culture, not to trust your own perceptions, not to trust your heart, not to trust your mind, not to trust your will. What do you trust? The Bible or the church. You can't trust your heart because Jeremiah says it's deceitful above all things. You can't trust your body. You can't trust your will because you are fallen and you're in a fallen creation. And if you're fallen, you're broken. And if you're broken, you're not trustworthy. You got me? The only thing that's not broken is the Bible. Okay. Um, I can skip this part. Well, oh, thank you. You're very sweet. <laughs> we, got, we got 10 more minutes. Um, there is a similarity in belief between evangelical and fundamentalism, although the fundamentalists take the evangelical position um, but add to it a kind of a fierce, separatist, militant view. The culture is evil, and so you should not read People magazine. You should not look at the television. You should not even gaze upon Lady Gaga because she's straight from the pit of hell. You should not even look at the side. You remember the guy uh, who's, we've seen him on television many times. He's a physician, been through med school, but he says, you know, embryology, all of that that I was taught in med school just lies straight from the pit of hell. That's a fundamentalist setting himself against the culture. I was living with some fundamentalists in Jerusalem one time and I got a science fiction fantasy book sent to me by my dad, who loves that kind of book. It was, had something about sorceress in the title. And they went nuts. Nuts. They threw me out of the house until I would throw away this present that I got from my dad, whom I hadn't seen in three months. And I said, quoting scripture, you know, it is not what goes into you that is unclean. It's what comes out of you that's unclean. That's what the Bible says. And they were like, we don't care. Get it out of here. You have to be separate from the world because you have to stay pure. Pure comes from piety, the pietism of the 17th and 18th centuries, where people examine their souls in order to stay pure. You have to be pure. And once you find an impurity, you have to figure out why it's there and what to do about it. And then you have to examine everything leads to more impurities and more impurities. And you can pretty much paralyze yourself with the sin of overscrupulosity. <laughs> 
That is a word that Martin Luther in the 1500s, his confessor, used it with him. He said, quit coming to me to confess your sins, my God. Just live your life. You are suffering from overscrupulosity. <laughs> Former fundamentalists sometimes have uh, better content in their beliefs, but sometimes they keep the same format. You know what I'm saying? It ambushes you every now and then. You'll be going along with your Unitarian Universalist mind and suddenly, boom, you have this feeling, oh, there's something wrong with me. There's something broken. I, sh- I should be ashamed. I don't deserve good things. I, I, I drive an SUV. I should be punished. I, I made a mistake. That's dangerous. Mistakes can endanger my life, my salvation. You just have this feeling that you've stepped over a taboo. And you have a, a somewhat um, all-or-nothing way of thinking. Either this is right or it's wrong. Either I'm perfect or I'm a failure. All the gray areas cause anxiety, not to mention the purple areas, the pink, the yellow, the hibiscus print. Anxiety because it's not right or wrong. You have to you have to travel in the middle, in the meadow, off the train track, and it causes tremendous anxiety. Some information even feels dangerous. Some things that you say feel dangerous. It's a it's a very strange little mindset. I find myself, after having been a Unitarian Universalist for many, many years, suddenly I'll open a little closet in my mind and oh there's a pile of Calvinism right there. <laughs> So what do you do? Number one, you just notice your thoughts. Just notice them. Don't try to eradicate them. Just notice them and say, goodness, there it is again. Um, Read coming out stories. There's a beautiful book called Leaving the Fold, which is one story after another of people who have left fundamentalism. Notice your anxiety if you break some taboo from your raising, if you articulate something that shocks your inner fundamentalist, just notice it and breathe in and out. You can use the 12 steps. There's a group called Fundamentalist Anonymous. There really is. (laughs) Notice the anxiety that ambiguity produces. Don't believe in a God who doesn't believe in you. Realize that there is no one who knows what you should do except you. If you believe in God and that God has forgiven you, you must forgive yourself because what are you, better than God? Your standards are higher? (laughs) Forgive yourself. Realize that you went through an early training by people who were trying to do something good for you. They were trying. They were just mistaken. Try to wonder what it would be like to look with compassion on the fundamentalists. Notice that people decide what to believe. They decide. And you decide what you want to believe. And then go to Red Lobster on a Sunday afternoon. Watch the fundamentalists eat shellfish in their polycotton blend. Just mutter, abomination. (laughs) Please say with me the words by which we extinguish the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts 
until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.